Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Thursday. It's August 3rd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll take your calls today, 1030 and 1115. The number 602-260-1060. But as we typically do, let's kickstart the show with the poll questions and we'll start with the kdos1060.com poll question and this is certainly uh really starting to ramp up here this week after the news from the pac-12 in regards to what their media rights deal is going to look like and therefore uh conversations that are happening the arizona board of regents are expected to meet tonight should asu and the u of a leave the pac-12 for the big 12 yes out in front here 78 percent of the vote no trailing at 22 percent yeah, and this has become a daily topic, whether it's Big 12, Pac-12, both, uh, and uh, the Big Ten involved again. Uh, you know, the Big Ten presidents apparently cleared the way for them to pursue uh, Cal, Oregon, and Washington. I just saw that story a few moments ago, just kind of a follow-up from yesterday. Uh, it's, it's reached the point, in Tucson at least, where U of A football coach Jed Fish, when they had a U of A football media day yesterday in Tucson, and that was like the only question he got asked is about you know going to the Big 12 possibly, and he got kind of tired of the continual questions or the that angle entirely. Uh, yeah, I can understand when you aren't really in a position to say anything, and those are the only questions right. you're being uh, asked. That it's a little bit challenging to answer in different ways. I can't answer it. Yeah, I didn't mean I didn't maybe I I didn't mean to blame him for that, but yeah, that's that's where it, it reached that stage yesterday. Uh, we will answer this question in totality uh, around 11:30 today, and of course, if you have some thoughts about the direction of ASU, U of A, the Pac-12, Big 12, all of that, your phone call time today, 10:30 and 11:15, 602-260-1060 is the number. Moving this on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, Bob had a great conversation with Tim Twenty from lions.com chatting all things detroit lions the expectations they're high for this team can they succeed can they excel the win total over nine wins or under nine wins 71.4 percent is on the under 28.6 percent is on the over and uh the the amp is high here they're they're expected to do well they're favored to win the division uh but most if not all betting locations after they won eight out of their last ten games last year, they favored they were favored to win a division. They haven't won any division since 1993, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's that's quite a long time. Is that the longest uh, active streak for the last time they've won a division uh, for any team that, in the NFL? That I don't know. Um, I'm just trying to think who might Cleveland maybe. Ooh, yeah. Um, that, that might be the first place I'd look if I'm trying to pursue other possibilities. 
Good point there. Uh, we will answer that question. Still time for you to cast your vote over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Uh, let's get started, though, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. They lost 4-2 to two yesterday to the Giants. Uh, Slade Sassoni was recall uh, called up from AAA. He got the start. Four and two-thirds, four hits, two runs, one walk, two strikeouts on 59 pitches here. The scoring for the Giants, though, got started with a Brandon Crawford triple in the fifth, and the Giants took the lead in in the sixth, Logan Webb picked up his first win in five starts, seven innings, four hits, two runs, one walk, and five strikeouts. But he's beaten the Diamondbacks all three times he's pitched against them this season. Uh, he's really good. I mean, he's had some bad games lately, but he was good last night after the first inning. The Diamondbacks had two runs on three hits in the first inning. They had no runs on two hits for the rest of the game in the other eight innings. Uh, Ciccone, I actually thought he was okay. Even though I'm getting a little tired of these prospects that come up and they can't get swings and misses, he had very few. He had one strikeout last night, so maybe that'll change. But it'd be nice if they just had somebody that could get somebody to miss some bats. You know, listening to you say that because it's prospect after prospect when they get up to the majors he- leagues here is that indicative of just maybe overall talent and, and who they have in their farm system or is there something that's not being taught pitches not being learned executed etc uh down in AAA so that they're not ready to go when they get called up normally i'd be on both sides here i think that player development is a really big deal i think it's a lot more i think it's a lot easier to uh, to develop players if they're position players that have talent uh you know i could give you a couple of examples there are two teams that are really young right now and i think uh to some extent to some extent exceeding expectations baltimore and cincinnati uh they both have an abundance of young position players uh, the Baltimore players have been developed. They know how to play baseball, and they're in first place. Uh, and they're legitimately in first place. The Reds are in first place, but they have a group of young players, and for the most part, hardly any of them have any idea of how actually to play the game. Uh, so that part there. I think it's different, though, for pitchers, because if you don't have velocity, I'm not sure you can really teach that much as far as if you don't have velocity – then you're, you're kind of in, in, a, in, a, in a corner. I also wonder whether pitching in Reno uh, for you know, your AAA experience before you come to the major leagues, uh, I think a lot of people have thought, not just Reno, but the entire, for the most part, the entire Pacific Coast League, it's really difficult for a pitcher to be good. I believe uh, Steve mentioned last night during the broadcast that the, earn, the average earned run average for Pacific Coast League pitchers is above five. And that's it's, it's a hitter's paradise, and maybe it's just not a good setting to try to develop young pitchers. Interesting. Um, you know, going back here to the game, to the Diamondbacks, to where things are at for this club, I think we both thought the start to the season was great, but we worried about sustainability. Certainly there were pitching concerns. We've talked about it from uh, the starting pitching angle of things, from the relief pitching angle of things. But as now we've entered here into August, the Diamondbacks have a 5-13 and record since the All-Star break. Does anything about the way they are now losing these games surprise you yeah a little bit i'll just extend this further their last 25 games no team in baseball is worse none not one they're 7 and 18 in their last 25 games 
Also, just to kind of refresh some numbers here, since July the 1st, when they were 16 games above 500 and three games ahead of the Dodgers, they're now just five games above 500, and they are seven games behind the Dodgers in the loss column at this point, and they're not even a wild card team right now. Uh, their bad base running continued last night. Uh, their defense is still really good, but you know, it was phenomenal before, and they still have great defensive stats, old-time stats, new-time stats, etc., which are legitimate because those are based on the entire season, but there is no way that they're the best defensive team in baseball based on the way that they've played, especially since the All-Star break. They've made bonehead decisions. They've made mental and physical errors. And you know, maybe they're just the, the offense has obviously been terrible. And that there is no margin for error anywhere with this team right now. And they are a sinking ship. I don't know. We're going to find out. Uh, you know, hopefully in the next couple of days, maybe Tommy Pham will be there. Uh, he certainly could have helped last night, you would think. At least gives them a bat. Uh, you know, hopefully, uh, maybe I'm talking out of turn here. Maybe there was some kind of legitimate reason why he couldn't make it to the game before yesterday. It seemed like everybody that was a position player or close to everybody, if I can't think of somebody who was not traded on Monday or Tuesday, who was not playing for his new team yesterday. Uh, for example, you know, Florida added, obviously, the two big bats with Bell and Berger. Those guys made it to the game in Florida yesterday, and they got six hits between them and were a big reason why Miami won that game last night against Philadelphia. So I just, you know, this appears to be a, a ship that is just sinking. I didn't think that they'd be ever this bad, and they're, they're playing horrible baseball right now. They were fun to watch. I said many times in the first two or three months of the season that if I weren't living here, they'd be, along with Baltimore, the two teams I think would be the most fun to watch in baseball if you were just a non-partial observer. And now it is painful to watch the Diamondbacks try to win a game. I mean, it's it's a painful experience to watch them play nine innings right now. Um, kind of trying to peel back maybe the, the mental side of this here. Has it caught up to this team that the lack of bat production is indicative of trying too hard, trying individually to be that guy, knowing the margin of error is so small, um, as opposed to what we saw in the beginning where it was this group effort, smart base running. We pointed out how much pressure they put on other teams defensively with their smart base running and kind of pushing the envelope. Is it now more just individual uh, individuals trying to make plays, trying too hard, or am I just reading way too much into this? No, that's definitely, I think that's a possibility for sure. I think it's maybe even li- likely that that is certainly part of it for sure. Uh, also, you know, the running game, when they do get runners on base, not just Diamondbacks uh, opponents, but in Major League Baseball, I think the teams have kind of figured out they haven't. There's there's no way with the new rules that you're going to stop teams from running that are fast. And if they want to run, they're going to still be able to run some. But really, the efficiency in stolen bases league wide in baseball has declined since the first month of the season when it was kind of like, you know, anybody could steal second base for the most part if they really wanted to. Uh, that has changed. That was a huge part of their game early. I think they kind of surprised some people with the way and how aggressive they were early in the season. The element of surprise is gone. 
They're, you know, combined with the lack of base runners in comparison to early in the season, that's gone. And they've had a ridiculous amount of runners thrown out for just stupid base running decisions, whether it's the end of the game on Monday night, uh, what night was that? Tuesday night, my bad. Uh, or whether you know, they've had two base runners thrown out for no good reason the last two nights. Uh, in addition to that game, the game with Perdomo on Monday night, you have it's a yeah it, you, you, you know, Walker is at the plate, and the game is still winnable, and and you get picked off for Perdomo gets picked off first base to end the game. That is, I watch a billion baseball games a day. That is the worst base running move in one thing. That's the worst base running uh, decision and uh, result that I've seen from any team in baseball this season. The absolute, that's the most, just, it's, you can't have that, that can't happen. Your best hitter, albeit not lately, but for the season, is at the plate with a chance to, you know, win the game or tie the game, and you get picked off first base to end the game? That can't happen. Um, inexcusable, right? Absolutely. Well, the Diamondbacks have a chance here uh, this afternoon. Brandon fought, though. Uh, he's going to have to turn it around. 0-4, 8.20 ERA, 30 strikeouts. Scott Alexander, 6-1, 3.13 ERA, 18 strikeouts. It's a 12:45 first pitch today. It's a bullpen game for the Giants uh, with Alexander out there. And, uh, you know, the way Brian Fott has pitched most of the season, it's a bullpen game for the Diamondbacks, too, even though they don't want to tell you that because he doesn't last very long. Most starts. Uh, the Dodgers yesterday, they beat the A's 10-1. to J.P. Sears, 2-7, 4.09 ERA, 106 strikeouts. Julio Urias, 7-6, 4.98 ERA, 77 strikeouts. Looking for that consistency from Urias. That's true. Um, you know, the A's are awful. Uh, you know, they beat him 10-1 to last night. That's another home run. He's got 29. Freddie Freeman, uh, if his former teammate Ronald Acuna Jr. Went in the, wasn't in the National League, Freeman would be the National League MVP, no question. Uh, he had three more hits last night. Even Tony Gonsolin was good last night, and that has not happened very often here lately. But it was against Oakland. Uh, the Dodgers, I'm real confused what's going on with J.D. Martinez. You know, 24 hours ago, we had a thought that uh, provided by Dave Roberts that he was going to go to the injured list. Well, then after last night, Roberts says that Martinez is ready to go through a full workout today, being Thursday, and will be and might even be available to play the game today, which would be stupid because they need to make sure that he's okay because they have a healthy lead in this division now. They're going to make the playoffs. Uh, so he went from IL bound with back and hamstring injuries to maybe playing the next day, what are they doing? Uh, we'll get into, uh, it seems like, new pitchers with their new teams, and they're all pitching today. So we'll get into those matchups here. We'll also get into the American League wildcard situation, National League wildcard situation on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take phone calls today around 1030 and 1115. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS 1060. 
KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. But one more time, Brandon fought uh, Scott Alexander finishing up the series in San Francisco. It's a 1245 game. DBACs.com slash watch to find uh, the channel that services you. Uh, more Extra Point. It's coming up next right here on KDOS AM 1060. morning drive just got a little better the dan patrick show is live weekday morning starting at six exclusively on kdus am 1060 AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Caleb Mortolaro with you here. Let's continue our Major League Baseball conversation. It seems like most of the new pitchers uh, are getting their chance to get things started with their new teams after the trade deadline here. And we'll start with the Phillies at the Marlins. Michael Lorenzen going with Philadelphia. He's 5-7, and seven, yeah. 3.58 ERA, 83 strikeouts. And then Johnny Cueto with the Marlins, 0-2, 5.06 ERA, 14 strikeouts. Yeah, Johnny Cueto, God bless him. He's still pitching after Dusty Baker tried to ruin his career like 10 years ago when he got overused by Baker when he was with the Reds. So, you know, good for Cueto that he's still out there. He's been good today. Uh, six innings. It looked like he was going to get knocked out of this game in the second or third inning. The Phillies got a couple of runs and then had a bunch of base runners in the next inning. Uh, they got two runs in the second, had base runners in the third, and I don't know how Cueto got out of that because I was doing the sports zone. So I, as talented as I am, I can't watch and talk at the same time. So there we go. <laughs> I, 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 probably, I could do that part, but I really can't you know, walk, talk, and read my notes at the same time. But anyway, he made it through that, and they're going to the bottom of the sixth right now. Uh, Lorenzen's only thrown 62 pitches to get through five innings so far, so... I haven't watched that much of this game, at least from the Miami side of things, so they must be up there hacking <laughs> because that's not very many pitches in a, you know, six innings so far. Uh, then the next game here with the White Sox at the Rangers. Uh, Tuki Toussaint for the White Sox, 1-3, 3.50 ERA. <laughs> Former Diamondbacks first-round draft pick. And he's going up another former Diamondback. But uh, now with the Rangers here, Max Scherzer, 9-4, and 4.01 ERA, 121 strikeouts. But obviously, uh, this is the thing to watch for how Max is going to pitch and obviously the expectations that he has and, and the Rangers have. Yeah, Tuki Toussaint, this is like his fourth or fifth organization since the Diamondbacks traded him. And uh, anyway, so we'll see how this goes. But uh I'm curious to see. I think, you know, I'm most curious to see how Scherzer is at the end of the season. He's been inconsistent. He's had some very good dominating Scherzer type starts uh, when he was with the Mets. And, uh, you know, like the last couple of starts, for instance, for the Mets, he was really good. I forgot who they played last Friday night, but he was really good that start. The start before that, he gave up four home runs in Fenway. So who knows? And uh, more than once this season, I've either asked on the during the sports zone or during the extra point or at least wondered is he done uh so i'm still not sure about that also he has not finished strong at the end of the last uh, at least two seasons and maybe three at this point i have to look that part up but he's not been his best at the end of seasons or and or healthy or both 
Uh, so is he still going to have any juice and gas in the tank by the end of the year? Certainly, uh, you know, the trade to him with the Dodgers and how uh, he couldn't quite finish and, and be a part of all of that action at the end of the season is fresh in my mind. Well, and also even when they won the World Series with uh, the Nationals, which was what, 2019? Remember, he got like scratch from like this game six thing and then had a miracle cure by game seven. That's true. Uh, so, I mean, he wasn't 100% healthy then either, and he got by. Uh, but uh, and then last year he was just a disaster uh, towards the end of the season and the Mets got eliminated in that first round of the playoffs against San Diego and he was a big reason why because he wasn't good. The Orioles at the Blue Jays. Jack Flaherty with the Orioles now 7-6, and 4.43 ERA, 106 strikeouts. The Blue Jays are sending up Kevin Gosman, 8-5, 3.10 ERA, 171 strikeouts. Rough matchup here for Flaherty. First start with the Orioles, you got to go against, uh, you know, against Gosman. However, uh, until yesterday, the Orioles uh, had dominated the Blue Jays this year. In fact, they had not lost a game in Toronto this season until yesterday. So we'll see how Flaherty does. Flaherty's season uh, stats not great, but he's been very good in his last you know, several starts here for the most part, cumulative, uh, I believe it's his earn rate average of roughly three in his last five starts. Uh, and I think I mentioned this yesterday, if I didn't mention it on the air, I mentioned it to a couple of people I've talked to about the trade deadline. Either he was just you know, maybe bored. Um, yeah, he did that. The, the catching situation in St. Louis after Yadier Molina left, you go from Yadier Molina to you know, Wilson Contreras. That's like the worst. They're going from the best catcher maybe ever defensively to one of the worst uh, catchers. Certainly, I think one of the worst. You know, maybe I think he's actually the worst defensive catcher in baseball for the last few years here. Uh, that's a ridiculous. You know, you know, from one guy to the next in like one year, that can't be good for pitchers. And maybe that's why the Cardinals pitching staff has sucked this year. Uh, certainly plays a big role. Uh, so maybe he's still really good. Uh, but going against Gosman's probably not the, the best idea. But like I said, they've, they've destroyed the Blue Jays. And in the Blue Jays, uh, the confusion that was going on yesterday about uh, the situation with Bichette, you know, they said that he was day-to-day, -day and there were multiple reports out there yesterday at this time that he was headed for the injured list. That ain't day-to-day. -day. Uh, he was actually placed on the injured list yesterday, and they're still not really telling anybody the truth. So the Blue Jays have become Lou Holtz back in the Notre Dame days. You could, and, and Pete Carroll in Seattle right now, don't believe anything that those guys say injury-wise. And the Blue Jays, you can't believe anything they say injury-wise. Let's look at the American League. Uh, the Orioles leading the American League right now, 66 and 42 record. The Rangers at 62 and 46. The Twins, 55 and 54. Then the wild card race here, you have the Rays, 66 and 45. The Astros, 62 and 47. And the Blue Jays, 60 and 49. Then the Red Sox are two and a half games back. The Yankees, three and a half games back. The Mariners, three and a half games back. And uh, I have to throw this in here the Angels, four games back. Screw the Angels. They're done. Yeah, they're, they're behind Seattle now. I mean, that, that, if anybody thinks Seattle is any good, raise your hand. Uh, so they're, they're ahead of the Angels. Uh, so there's that. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, the, the, uh, a couple of things here. Number one, it was another awful night last night for Tampa. Shane McClanahan injured again. 
Uh, he's about the last, you know, they went out and added some starting pitching, and McClanahan had to leave the game last night after he was bad again in uh, New York against the Yankees. So he's out for a while. I'm guessing there's going to be some kind of injured list thing with him today. Uh, that's unfortunate. And obviously we've gone through, I'm sure people are tired of anybody, whether it's me or somebody else, and many people talking about their starting pitching injuries, really since like the third week of the season, which have just escalated more and more and more as we continue. So it was a terrible day for them last night. And then you know, I keep hearing people bagging on Garrett Cole, uh, he leads the American League now in earned run average of all starters, all of them. He's number one in the American League in earned run average, and he's had 19 starts this season where he's allowed two fewer, uh, two runs, or two earned runs or fewer. He tried to say, that's the most in baseball. But I keep hearing people bagging on Garrett Cole. He was great last night, by the way. Again. Uh, then we have over in the National League, the Braves 69 and 37, Dodgers 61 and 45, the Reds 59 and 51. Then the Giants 60 and 49 in the wild card, Phillies 58 and 50, the Marlins and the Brewers tied 58 and 51. The Diamondbacks sitting one game back, the Cubs two and a half games back, and the Padres four games back. Yeah, if you're a Diamondbacks fan uh, and you still think there's hope for this season, and I know they're only one game back, but is there hope for this season? I asked in the sports zone today, can you stick a, is it too early to stick a fork out or get the fork out at least for the Diamondbacks? Uh, I think you need to be rooting for the Marlins today. Uh, they're playing the fourth of this four-game series against the Phillies, and those are two teams obviously in the wild card chase. And uh, if the Marlins win this game today, they would have split those four games. And what I think, uh, you know, the people that are contending for the wild card did not want to see is one of these teams sweeping the four-game series because that would have really given them an upper hand. So right now it's a uh, two-two, 2-1, excuse me, 2-1 in the series and 2-1 in the game. <laughs> uh, Philadelphia leads the series 2-1, to one, and it's 2-1 to one in the game as they head to the seventh inning as we speak. Uh, so there's that, but then uh, that's, I think that's all I got for the National League. 602-260-1060, that's the number if you'd like to join the program on the other side of the break. Give us a call now. We'll talk to you then. Uh, Mike Sando of The Athletic, he's been doing this for a while now, putting together uh, NFL quarterback. The quarterback tier time. Yes, it is. All uh, right. He gets in touch with eight general managers, 10 head yeah. coaches, 15 coordinators, 10 executives, four quarterback coaches, and three coaches in the analytics department who voted on uh, these tiers and made them up. So uh, yeah. we will dive into these tiers on the other side of the break. Plus your phone calls, 602-260-1060. It's the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. The Dan Patrick Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. This is just uh, something I like to call breakfast. With big-name guests, timely sports information, and more on KTUS AM 1060. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 on this Thursday, August 3rd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortellaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We will get to Mike Sando of the Athletics quarterback tiers for 2023 here momentarily, but as promised, it's phone call time in this segment, 602-260-1060, so we'll pop on out to the KDOS hotline now. Monroe in Glendale, what's on your mind today, Monroe? Uh, you know, I hope this doesn't sound like hyperbole, but I believe that the Pac-12 is on track to follow in the steps of the Southwest Conference. I don't see them surviving this, and if they do, they would be not much more than the AAC or Conference USA, which means no legitimate shot at a national championship. And more importantly, I think, to them, no legitimate shot at a real TV deal. Uh, And so Apple TV, it's not a real TV deal. A real TV deal brings eyeballs that are already interested and paying for a service, not eyeballs that have to go get the service when they're already paying for something else, if that makes sense. Uh, I think that makes perfect sense. I agree with all of that. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, it's reached the point where you know, some of my Las Vegas friends, at least one of them, who went to UNLV a long time ago, uh, I had a conversation with him uh, about 10 days ago, and he was actually talking about they, the UNLV for the first time ever actually thinks it has a chance now to join the Pac-12, right. uh, which would be great. Would that'd be great for UNLV, but that would be just kind of like you know the Pac-12 got to take anybody they can find, and that's that's likely going to happen now. Well, I shouldn't say likely; it's possibly going to happen now. Uh, especially, obviously, if Oregon and Washington and Cal, or excuse me, Stanford, uh, go to the Big Ten. Um, Cal, I think I might have said Cal before. It was it's Stanford and not Cal. Uh, the Big Ten doesn't want any part of Cal, to my knowledge, because of Cal's horrendous financial situation within their, within their own athletic department, which is kind of a mess. And the school itself, I understand, has taken some financial hits since the pandemic and obviously Northern California was really hit by the pandemic. Uh, so a lot going on there, but the fact that UNLV is even considering that they have a chance to join the PAC 12, like I said, great for UNLV, bad for the conference. Right. And so if you believe that ASU and U of A are probably more properly, U of A and ASU should say, I think you're looking at the PAC 12 of the past and not the future. And I think that ASU and U of A, at least in my view, they're pretty much joined at the hip of like Texas and Texas A&M. Where one goes, the other will follow. And therefore, if U of A gets in the pack in the Big 12, and if the Big 12 doesn't want ASU, ASU, I think, still wants to get into the Big 12. Yeah, I'm not sure that publicly they haven't said anything, but uh, there's no question that the Big 12 wants the U of A for basketball. I don't think they have, I don't think they really care about the football program. And I don't really think that the Big 12 cares, quite frankly, about ASU in any sport. Uh, but I think, the, you know, to, uh, you know, balance the books and so forth, uh, I think that they would uh, accept ASU 
but they, they really want the U of A for basketball sure, amongst the two sure. schools. That, that, I think that pretty much goes without saying. The Big 12, they have some football teams, but they are a basketball conference in my view, and so they would want a, a basketball team. They're the best basketball conference and have been for a few years running now. So, I mean, that it's, it's just not that they're going to add a – another basketball power they're already the best basketball conference in the country and on an annual basis for at least three years now sure sure no uh and and then this leads now we i think we talked about this this leads the uh the god a acc the acc is left floundering so for all practical purposes now you you have always said I'm I'm not likely I don't like watching these you know bad games. You're yep. probably going to get your wish. Without, oh, this without, is great! This is the greatest thing. I just want I got to make sure I'm still breathing. I mean, this yep. is going to be great. We get rid of all these garbage schools that shouldn't be playing Division One. They can play their own division. They can you know, compete against each other. That's great. That means I don't have to watch those teams play. This is perfect for me. And I just wish it would have happened 15 years ago, quite frankly. And I, my my really the the expansion, the playoff expansion, I think it went to 12. I forget now, but yeah, my view right. my view is while that may not be what you want, the fact of the matter is the teams that make that won't be any of these teams. It'll be the the conference runner up and the conference tournament games and. The winners of the conference tournament games are the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the SEC. And that'll be at least six or seven slots. I mean, six or eight slots filled by themselves, and the rest are going to be the two the two lost teams and the three lost teams from the SEC. So, I just, yeah, yeah, I, just, I don't know. No doubt. All right, Bob. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, too. Kayla, I apologize. I've been hogging the call here, but I've been preaching or hoping for this forever. And now so, that's all you, good. You're basking in your glory. Well, then yesterday the Florida State, some of mm-hmm. their administrators said that they need to get out of the ACC also, yes. which they should do. I mean, they need to get – I can't imagine the SEC would not take them at the snap of a finger. And take Clemson with them. Get, if Clemson and Florida State go to the, the SEC, then everybody is a winner as far as yeah, I'm concerned. It's a done deal after that, Bob. It's a done deal after that. Yeah, it's going to be like – Division One, Double A, whatever they want to call themselves. Right. Yeah. And be happy. And let them play their own championship. That's fine. I got no problem with that. The best news is I don't have to watch it. That's right. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Caleb. 602-260-1060 is always the number to get involved. A couple of other things piggybacking off of what uh, you and Monroe were talking about. Um, Nicole Arbach was reporting this morning that Big Ten presidents have authorized Commissioner Tony Petitti to explore expansion. Uh, the discussions at this point in time have centered on just Oregon and Washington. There was speculation yesterday that it would potentially include Stanford and Cal. Uh, then Cal was kind of removed, kind of 
thrown in there here and there. But at least as of this morning, the discussions are for Oregon and Washington. In addition to that, it looks like uh, Board of Regents for UW have scheduled a special meeting for tonight. So that's also set to take place. Uh, It's also an executive session, so you won't be able to publicly watch it. Uh, That's all. This seems to be really like all unfolding here rather quickly. Let me add one other quick thing. I'm not 100% sure about this. I should look it up before I say something, but I'm pretty sure that Petiti has a background in television broadcasting, maybe with CBS as an executive. Uh, I could probably Google really quickly and see uh, see where we are with him on that front. But I think you would have after uh, you know Kevin Warren moves on, right? Getting somebody who has background in television experience would be really important. Uh, oh, here he goes. Uh, he was formerly the chief operating officer of Major League Baseball. In addition to that, he previously served as the president and chief executive officer of the Major League Baseball Network. Oh, okay. I thought he had some kind of connection with CBS. My bad on that. But he does have a basketball, uh, 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 you know, a, a big window, big picture, even if it's baseball. I know people laugh at baseball all the time. But, you know, they've done a good job baseball-wise as far as their product goes in many ways, including their television rights, unless you live in Arizona or San Diego. I'm reading further. Uh, He also was in charge of the college sports network that was then absorbed into CBS Sports, and it eventually evolved into the CBS Sports Network. I'm vindicated. All right. You are. So uh, he then left his CBS position and became the head of Major League Baseball Network. So extensive television experience. There we go. So I feel so much better now. Thank you for exploring that for me. You're very welcome. Um, you know, there is something that I did want to bring up, and I was going to do it later, and I want to see if I can find it, and we'll just do it now. Uh, I was reading uh, Pete, uh, uh, not Pete, uh, Pat Forty of SI.com was put out a very extensive article on all the moves that are taking place in uh, college football here. And one of the lines and, and graphs that he had here I thought was interesting. So Pat Forty wrote here, it would be massively damaging to college athletics to have no prominent West Coast conference. If an entire region of the country sells out its athletes and fans for a long distance partnership that in all likelihood would produce fewer victories, greater academic hardship, less tradition and harder harder travel all in the name of revenue the entire enterprise is diminished when i read that i i thought to myself you know he he's right if you're you're looking at it from just how hard this is going to then be on the student athlete but i think if we really take a step back and look at the last five years we could even go back to the last 10 years uh has any of this been about the student athlete it's clearly about money you don't expand and and to take on the the bcs and you move it into a college football playoff you expand from four to 12 and that you doing all of that in the name of revenue i think think everything has been shifting over time Mm -hmm. into a pro model so with that in mind if you are schools that are in the pac 12 like right now asu u of a utah oregon and washington if you want to stand pat in the pac 12 uh you're going to get swallowed up and spit out because the landscape is moving away from from that 
I agree with all that. Uh, I'll add to the fact that I don't think the Pac-12 has been uh, – I don't think too many people cared about the Pac-12 nationally for several years. I think the U of A was the last team that won a championship in the Pac-12 basketball-wise in 1998. And uh, since USC has been prominent in football, other than Oregon for a couple years when Kelly was there, uh, this conference has been irrelevant. I don't think that they've actually made the college football playoffs since Washington in 2017, maybe. So, you know, on the field, uh, they haven't been relevant football and basketball-wise for a half decade, roughly, at least, and longer than that in basketball. I mean, how many times have we had conversations about kickoff start times? Uh, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock, uh, 8.30 on the West Coast. No one on the East Coast is is staying up to watch those games. It's hard enough on fans on the West Coast. So, it, it, you know, I don't know what the solution always was because then you talk about the student athlete when you do a 9 a.m. kickoff uh, being up and ready to go, have your body ready to play. There's all sorts of dynamics that go into it, but – the East Coast bias or just kind of where that fandom is and kind of what's driving things, it's the middle of the country and to the east of the country. And that's just kind of the whether or not you, you live on the West Coast or not, that's just the unfortunate nature of the landscape. I agree with that kind of as a whole, but I don't believe this East Coast bias crap. I've never have. When USC was dominating in football, when UCLA was dominating in basketball, when it was a product that was worth watching and they had championship-level teams, people on the East Coast paid attention. I did syndicated radio for 20 years, roughly. Plenty of people on the East Coast cared about what was going on on the West Coast when they had relevant teams. They have not. Uh, they have not. I think the schools have done a terrible job in the Pac-12 keeping their best athletes in the Pacific time zone. I'll just give you one quick example. I know we're really up against it here because we're both kind of, especially me, rambling on, sorry. But you know, just look at the last draft in the NFL, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. They were both Southern California high school kids that went to Alabama and Ohio State. I will piggyback off of what you said about, you know, maybe the, the East Coast bias and, and they did pay attention when USC was relevant. I seem to remember, though, USC getting uh, those national spotlight games. So they were the, the 530 primetime game where everyone was tuned in. Good. Exactly. Because they were good. Exactly. Yeah, that's why, because people were going to watch. <laughs> now they're not good enough for anybody to care. Well, we will. I promise we'll get to Mike Sando of the Athletics quarterback tiers. <laughs> I think we'll do that in hour number two. Uh, so we'll do that in hour number two. We'll get a little bit of an update going on around the PGA Tour, the Wyndham Championship, uh, things that are just happening across the tour in general, uh, the schedule release, et cetera, for next year. So we'll do that on the other side of the break. Quarterback tiers will happen in hour number two. Uh, passionate display of uh, uh, conference alignment and just the state of college athletics it's happening here on the extra point catch the doug gottlieb show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m right here on kdus am 1060 and online at kdus 1060.com
having fun on this Thursday, August 3rd, right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. We'll take a break from football discussion, go into the PGA Tour here briefly. It's the Wyndham Championship, your final chance to punch your ticket to the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, Right now, Adam Scott, he's done for the day. He's sitting atop of the leaderboard at five under par. He was one of those bigger names heading into this final opportunity to punch their ticket to the FedEx Cup that was on the outside looking in. He started uh, this event in 81st position. If he were to go on to win, he would be inside the top 70 to make it to the FedEx Cup playoffs. The other bigger name uh, that we've been talking about a lot in this uh, scenario here is Justin Thomas. He was a 79th starting things out this week. He shot even par today. That's good for tied for 49th right now was still uh you know probably about a quarter of the field yet to even tee off to start their round so that's it, it even doesn't hurt him but it's certainly probably not what he was looking for Shane Lowry was another uh you know big time name open champion in the past that was on the outside looking in he's starting 76th he went out and shot two under par that's good enough for a tie for 16th as it is right now uh at the uh, Donald Ross design Sedgefield Country Club for the Wyndham Championship. The other thing about the PGA Tour for 2024, some leaked uh, information here. The designated events will be the Century Tournament of Champions in Hawaii once again. Waste Management Phoenix Open not getting that designation this year. It's supposed to be on a rotational basis. It's going to the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am this year, the Genesis Invitational, Arnold Palmer Invitational, the Players, the Masters, the RBC Heritage, Wells Fargo, the PGA Championship at Valhalla, the Memorial, U.S. Open, which is taking place at Pinehurst, the Travelers Championship, the Open, which is at Royal Troon this year, uh, then, of course, the FedEx Cup playoffs. The only designated events for the 2024 schedule uh, with cuts that are not the major championships are going to be the Players, Genesis, Memorial, and Arnold Palmer. So that's a, a difference in a shift in philosophy for 2024 that some of these designated events will have limited fields and there will be no cuts in them as well so we'll continue to monitor what's going on at the Wyndham championship and see how some of the bigger names on the outside trying to get into the FedEx Cup playoffs are going to fare in the final event of the season but our number two is coming up on the other side of the break <laughs> 